And also, I think for me, this is being set for who I am and this friction of like living in this capitalist society world we in. I collide with that because my therapist let me unpack that I'm not, I, I despise the capitalist system because manipulative is about money and all that. And then by living and in my hope for freedom and so forth, my happiness connected to my freedom. And with that, my DNA, I learned through therapy and coaching is that I like to share. Before we get into today's episode, we have a word from our sponsor, Mindset Shift. Have you ever told yourself, I don't think I can do this? They will never go for it. I'm not a good enough leader. The things you tell yourself that hold you back. Imagine if you could remove all those boundaries just by holding them up and actually looking at them, figuring out where they come from and how to tackle them. At Mindset Shift, that's what we do. We help innovative and ambitious leaders that want to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, for their business, for their culture, and for themselves. We help unlock their growth through actionable coaching, workshops, leadership development programs, or speaking engagements. We create foundational people over profit environments, the kinds where productivity and innovation soar, culture, inclusion, and equity sit at the heart of operations. Are you ready to step out the box and take your organization to the next level? Contact us today at www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Enjoy today's episode. My guest is a serial entrepreneur. He is, when I say serial, like... I don't know, I think it's probably what, four or five different <laughs> businesses that I know he's, that, that I know of, that I can look into, that I know he's started. But apart from that, obviously, he's the, currently he's the founder of the Icon Project, which we're going to talk about today. He is also um, the, co- the co-founder of Change Catalyst and their tech inclusion programs. And I was actually interested, um, I'm fascinated, should I say, by the tech inclusion programs that you and um, your wife run because it's what over 12,000 job candidates into tech companies hosted over what 28,000 attendees in 50 plus countries I was like that is absolutely amazing and on top of that he's still a mentor he's an advisor to early stage startups he's been featured in USA CNN Wall Street Journal Mashable he is the man about town when it comes to black tech in particular like Wayne Sutton is one of the the pioneers when it comes to actually talking about being black in tech before it was cool. So it's my absolute pleasure just to have this conversation with you today. Sophie, thanks for having me. And, and wow, that's a that's a serious intro. <laughs> 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 I'm like I'm like my gray hairs are showing. Like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know what? But yeah. it's, it's it's the it's the truth though. It is the truth. And actually, before we even jump into it, I just want to talk about the Icon Summit that you had a little while ago. And I was, I think, it's the first time I've been to an event that truly catered for everyone. When I talk about everyone, in the sense that you had an interpreter there throughout the whole thing. So it was very pretty. That's when you talk about inclusivity, that was the first example I've seen done in a conference live that made sure that it catered for everyone. And I really just want to highlight the fact that it was an amazing event, amazing speakers, 
But just that, the small little things that made sure you cater for people was so, so important. So congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And, th- and thanks for speaking as well. Your presence added to the value of it and people learn from you and your, your experience as well. So appreciate that. The inclusion aspect of the Icon Summit, you know, learn from doing the work of tech inclusion of, you know, make sure that we have a tech event that is inclusive to everyone. You know, whether it's interpreters, we also had captioning on another URL for people who may need captioning. You know, we make sure we have a code of conduct. You know, we make sure that we didn't want to leave anybody out. And that's what has been happening in tech and in the world and where we are today. So we make sure that, you know, people want to attend it. They were, they were taken care of. I think we, as always, I, I like to go back to, to the start. And I'm curious, where did the love of, of tech come from? Because I'm looking through the path for you from university to studying computer or graphics design to all the different works and stuff. You do tech has always been there. So where did that love come from? Yeah, great question. You know, I don't talk about this often, but I'm a geek. I'm a nerd, right? You know, I was one of those kids growing up where, you know, I think I had a, maybe had a Lego blocks or the, or the off-brand blocks if my family could afford it growing up, you know what I mean? And then, you know, my mom used to work for HUD and went through a furlough. I'm not sure if this was legal. This is like years ago. That's like 20, like 30 years ago. So don't come at us. <laughs> but, but she went through a furlough. She worked for HUD and she knew that she needed to get the work done to help people out. And so they closed the office and she brought her Windows computer home to continue to do the work to help people out. And this is like Windows 3.1. Right. And so I was a nerd. I was like, what's this computer thing? And I got into it and so forth. And but I think prior before that, I, we had a Atari a Commodore 64, you know, and it broke. I used to take the other part. My parents said, what are you doing? Why you don't break it? Don't, don't, don't mess it up. But at the core, it became I look at my, my DNA in childhood. It's like at the core, it became part of looking at technology and seeing how it works and have a curiosity for that, right? So I think that's where the core is like curiosity. How does this work? How can you repair something? How can you fix it? How can you make something? How can you build something? And so that, you know, permeated to like my interest in the tech is like, oh, here's the internet here. How can you learn? How can you create something? How can you build something? How can you impact lives? How can you make the world better? And so that part of my DNA kind of kind of merged interest being in tech. Then later on, I got into like graphic design and art and creativity and building websites and entrepreneurship and so forth. Were you the only one growing up, especially around you, that was really interested in tech or where do you have a crew around you as well who has similar interests? Oh, that was a great question. These are good. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. It was, growing up, I didn't have, didn't have a lot of people. My, especially, I mean, I grew up in a small town teaching North Carolina population like 200 back in 2010. Next closest town population 50,000, you know, so it wasn't like I grew up in a big city. But it was it was just me. Like this tech, this, you know, before I moved to like this, the capital of North Carolina, Raleigh, the big, you know, one of the, the big cities. And, and you know, got, you know, went to basically was like almost a coding school for computer graphic design. I got, you know, found more people who were like me. You know, after I graduated high school, it was like... You know, who was interested in tech but as a kid. You know, I was like art, drawing, so forth. My father and I, you know, had a relationship 
of working on um, engines and go-karts and cars and things of that nature. And looking back, you know, he's still alive. And, and But looking back, we didn't, that was our bond. Looking back, that was our bond in terms of building things. He liked doing something similar, like working on engines and see how they work and make it go faster. And everything, right? But that was, you know, that was our bonding of curiosity and building things. But it wasn't tech when it got to computers and, and art and design. So it wasn't that, that didn't, it was, yeah. Kind of felt alone in that aspect as a kid, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I found it fascinating, actually, just listening to you you talk. Because then when I started looking at you doing that with your dad, feeling alone at a young age and obviously going through other areas you're going to, you started to build, like, communities. And you started to be, obviously, you were you were spoken around inclusivity within tech and all that kind of stuff. I'm just mirroring from when you were at a young age and from there to being in tech... And then seeing that actually, this feels similar to, to how I was like when I was younger. <laughs> this ain't right. And speaking up, speaking up about that. Yeah, yeah. I, you connected some serious dots. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, I feel like this is not a therapy session, but it was like a therapy session already. <laughs> but no, you're right. You you connected some serious dots because, you know, I look, you know, thinking about childhood experiences connected to trauma, good and bad. Trauma is not always bad. Good, this book connected to trauma and how that shapes one life and what changes you want to create the future. So I, you know, grew up, you know, didn't have a lot of colleagues to talk about tech and art and design. And that was passionate about growing up. Go to Raleigh out of high school and so forth. You know, still not, not a lot of black people in my class or I'm interacting with right out of, College, uh, spent four years at a newspaper working in graphic design. He got into IT. Still, me, like basically two black people in four years were at this company. In the daytime, you know, they had people come at night, do faux papers, you know, back when that was a thing, who were black. But so I spent this childhood and very and young adult life of working and being one of the only one. And then even a, a black person in tech, you know, in my environment, in professional environment, work, life, so forth. Then when I went to Raleigh, I worked at an IT interactive agency. I worked at an interactive agency, but I was in the IT department. One black, per, only black person there, I think, for like eight years, maybe another person. And when social media started to rise, come happen, it allowed me to create community, right? I'm one of the first thousand users on Twitter, right? So in 2006, you know. No, it immediately started to create community and see I wasn't the only one. And looking back to your, going back to your question, most definitely my childhood experiences and my young adult experiences shaped my need to create community, reach out to other people like me, so we wouldn't feel alone. It's powerful. And that's why I'm always like fascinated about our upbringings always have some links as to what we do now, even though it might come out years later or we don't have to, haven't spent the time to unravel it. But there's always some synergies and patterns. There's a quote in particular which I'm resonating from Simon Sinek, which he talks about like leaders are the ones who have the courage to go first, to put themselves at a personal risk to open the path for others to follow. And you and your work actually reminds me of that because I, I said at the start, you were talking about being black in tech when it was not cool, it was the, it was not the mainstream, and it was 
a massive burden I can imagine to to people and and to yourself and to your mental health. What was that experience like for you? And why did you decide to take that on and become that champion that you end up becoming? Another great question. Like there was so much that I didn't know that in a moment, like literally didn't know and wasn't self-aware of how I was dealing, how I was feeling, what impact we were having because it wasn't alone, you know, in trying to be an advocate for change and diverse inclusion in tech and get more black people in tech. And it was a lot of trauma happened, you know, from 2006, 2011 that really like forced me to like, I want to create change in a big way to create an incubator accelerator for uh, underrepresented founders in tech for black people in tech. I want to, you know, advocate for black people in tech. And in that particular time, I wasn't self-aware of my own emotional intelligence or I wasn't, and I wasn't self-aware of like, my why, like why I'm feeling happy, why I'm feeling sad, how is this trauma impacting me? These negative experiences, these racist experiences in tech are impacting me. I wasn't aware of it. I was just doing. I just knew I wanted change. And so looking back, I got seriously depressed, like suicidal in 2011, 2012. It was hard on me emotionally. It was hard on me financially. It was hard on my family. I made some very, very hard choices that to this day, I feel like I made a right choice. I know I made the right choice. I'm, I'm very grateful where I'm at right now. I'm not like a millionaire. I'm not like super wealthy, but I'm very grateful where I'm at right now. I know I made the right choice, but to this day, it's still a hard choice, such as like getting a divorce in North Carolina for marriage. I was in seven years, moving cross country for my, at that time, one-year-old son to go make an impact and change my life. I feel like doing what's best, not only for myself, for black people in tech, but for his future. Moving away from my friends, family, moving to a city that I didn't know that had this huge uh, homeless rate in San Francisco, and most of the people homeless on drugs are black people. 4% black population in San Francisco. When I moved, got in a relationship that was, wasn't healthy, where I wasn't healthy to be in a relationship, and it wasn't a healthy relationship for me, so that even created more pressure. And then, Co-founder drama when I was running a program, had co-founder drama that was unexpected. So I left before I wanted to and then basically hit rock bottom in 2012. So for the taking all those risks at, in, in a year time frame was the hardest, most difficult moment in my life. Wow. Just going to let that breathe for a minute. That's a lot. talk about the, the impact of, of doing the work when you talk about it, even looking at your son as a one-year-old and being like actually this is for your future and trying to make that difficult sacrifice right now and then stepping into that and dealing with the emotional trauma and that leading to you getting to the point where you are you are at rock bottom there's the things that people don't hear or understand when we say it's draining like physically emotionally mentally it's draining it's draining now let alone then <laughs> you know i can't even imagine that it was oh, like then oh, when... oh, oh, oh it's easy now <laughs> 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 unfortunately it took murders for to make it happen it's easy now but sorry go ahead 
No, but it's, it's, it's facts, though. It is what it is. Like, now it's now people are saying it's hard. But when you, when you look back to then, the times that you're talking about, which is what, 2009, 2011, that period of time when no one wanted to talk about this, it was a real subject. If you mentioned race, it's you're going to get blacklisted and you might lose some connects and contacts and all. And you don't necessarily want to do that. But you took on that, that mantle and obviously... And that's why I was like, this is really, really important for us to really highlight, one, celebrate you and the work that you've done and you paving the way for other people, but also just understand that this does take its, its impact on people in a massive way that people don't tend to see behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to be honest, this stuff I don't talk about publicly that much, but you know, I alluded to it in a couple articles, but... Since Shopee is asking these great questions, I'm, I'm going. There. I'm in a moment now. I'm down. I'm, I'm gonna go there. Like I'll tell you, what, what was the the hardest part for me was one was looking back and be like, oh, I didn't know, right? I didn't have, I didn't have, you know, I had a couple of people who were mentoring, coaching, reaching out to me and pulling me to the side, but hey, do this, do that, you know, trying to navigate Silicon Valley waters, you know, San Francisco waters, tech waters, because I was like coming from North Carolina. I was an outsider. I didn't go to Stanford. I didn't have this pedigree. I was like, you know, I hadn't raised much money. So I was like coming out here and making a splash, right? And people, I, I had a couple people trying to talk to me. And, we, and I appreciate those, those humans. They were like grateful. But the hardest part was, yes, there was a lot I didn't know. And other black people saying to me, don't come out here and mess this up for us doing Black History Month <laughs> at a tech company, like a public tech company, when that tech company was hosting the founders in the cellar that we were running. And this person put me aside, was like, don't come out here and mess it up for us. I was like, what? You know, like that was hard. And we were in a CNN documentary, the feminist for this incubator cellar it was in, called you know, Black in America, Silicon Valley, in 2011. And the documentary, it is what it is in terms of quality, good story to tell. But the impact is priceless because never before in 2011, we saw black people on TV trying to create tech startups, make it, you know, start career. This is pre-Shark Tank, right? This is pre-Silicon Valley. I actually, we paved the way for all those things. This is pre-all that. And we were on TV trying to start tech companies, trying to be entrepreneurs, right? This is after the Social Network movie. So it's like, showing the people that black people can do this too. And later on, some highly respected black people in tech that the world knows that people look up to. I was in a boardroom conversation, boardroom meeting with them and some other executives and some big media firm. And they forgot I was in the room. And it was like, we don't want what happened to what happened before with that CNN thing where they had a bunch of nobodies on TV. And I was like, so I just got called a nobody. It was nobody's. From people who I looked up to. Like that was hard, right? Because yes, it was a lot I didn't know. I didn't know. Yes, I was coming out of great change. I didn't, you know, it's like say when in Rome, doing Rome, but you know, I was trying to do the right thing. Right? I was trying to do the right thing, trying to create change, trying to have impact. And that, those two moments right there, you know, I don't, I, you know, uh, like Yana says, like, it's your pride or your ego looking back or so forth. But your know, humility is being present moving forward. I'm, I'm working on doing that. 
but that trauma is still there from those experiences because I was trying to help. And, you know, it said hurts more, worse when it's your family or your own. That's the trauma I'm working to get over with. Yeah. I mean, that, that the statement, like, not all kinfolk or, or skinfolk, it's come up time and time again. And it hits differently. When you're hearing that, you're like, I'm, I'm here to do something different, which is for the benefit of other people, at the detriment of myself. And this is how people, like you said, people you look up to are, are treating you and talking about you. And it really does, when, you, when you're thinking about it, you're trying to be bold, you're trying to be confident, that can really knock, <laughs> knock all that out of someone real, real easily. Yeah, yeah. I've had my, I've had too many, you know, too many, like maybe 10 plus conversations like that, that, you know, I, I'm working to forgive. Could have forgot, but I'm working to forgive. <laughs> but, you know, but the good side of, of things, though, you know, the positive side of things is when I get a LinkedIn message from this, this, this black man who I met at a coffee shop when he was in college and say, you know, in 2011 or 12, he was like, well, you remember we met and we talked about tech, get the VC. I got my first internship at this VC firm. Hey, thank you. You know, like, you know, get that message. Or you get the message saying, hey, I saw the scene in documentary and I changed my major. Now I'm in computer science and I'm in tech and so forth. And they get that message, right? You know, you get this message like five years later, 10 years later. It was like, hey, remember we met in the coffee shop? Remember we did this? Or, hey, I saw you this and now I'm doing this. And thank you. Like those conversations is the ones you also don't forget, right? Like you just use this like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's one or a thousand, but when you get those, right? You know, even like your message, like you, you, when you reached out asking me to be on a, reminded me to be on a podcast, it's like, Icon Summit was a great event. Those messages is like, you know what? If you just impact one person's life in a positive way, I'm okay. I'm okay. As long as my, my lights paid, my rent's paid, roof over the head, and you know, <laughs> how they say, you know, I, I'm okay. You know, I wish I was driven. No, I don't. No, I'm not going to say that. There are times when I wish more of my DNA was more on the capitalist side of things of like, you know, I want to be wealthy. I want to be hyper successful. I want to have, you know, I want to be, be able to like, like if I have, I don't want to drop some people's names, but if I had black billionaire money, let's just say that. So I won't say some other names that we always say when we talk about rich, successful <laughs> people. So it could be woman, a man, they black billionaire money. You know, there's a lot I would do different, have impact, but I don't. And so this is my way, you know, and this is my DNA to like, I want to help people. I want to create change. I want to, you know, you know. I'm going to say this. I feel like Captain America, you know, Steve Rogers, another movie. Steve's like, I just can't look the other way. <laughs> you know? So We were talking about even working together where you can have people who are very capitalist mindset and capitalist driven. And then then I'll come alongside people like yourself. And that's why you get the amalgamation because you're in it for the heart. You're in it for the change. You're doing the work on the ground. And you need people who are chasing the money, but then giving the money back into other people who are then doing the work. And that's how you now get the the overall change that we want to see. Because having one person trying to do everything is never going to be possible. But that's why you need that unity coming together, isn't it? 
totally. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I, I value about my wife. You know, she, you know, Melinda, Melinda, but she, not say she has a capitalist mindset, but but we make a good team, right? You know, and and we bring different skills to the table where where things just work for us. We met in. 2014 and and just like you know what we can do this together and work together start a business together have an impact together and just just work is it easy working with your wife or do you find it difficult sometimes ah you put me on the spot with that question <laughs> <laughs> you open it up so i'm like i was curious when i find couples working together i'm like hmm let's just find out <laughs> you go there <laughs> On camera, right? Use it. Use it for conversations like you put me to the side. Like, hey, man, can we talk? Yeah, well, what is it like? Because people have done that. Because <laughs> people have done it. Hey, what's it uh, like? What, you know, I, I don't know how to do it. You know? <laughs> uh, uh, so, I'm going to say this on the record because we're on video. Um, <laughs> It has been an amazing experience to 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 have someone to work with and share their values with, to uh, who care about humans, uh, care about change and the tech industry, care about changing the world. Who I've learned from, you know. So it's, it's been an amazing experience to to work with my wife and and, and be together in that aspect. For the most part, I would say yes. It has been easy. But it has not come without its challenges of the most not most of the challenges has come from when things get hard around us. Not between us, but when things get hard around us. Whether like when COVID hit, like our business was, you know, consulting events. That was just hard when COVID hit, right? So that became that of course when you work together and both of us, you know, work at the same company, our own company. Things got hard around us, right? Now, of course, that impacts relationship. When there's a lot of travel and there's and money's tight, and you know things like like that impacts us, right? When George Floyd happened, right? You know, unfortunately, the murder of George Floyd happened. Things like that impacts us, right? And it's but outside, and so we we you know we we talk about it. We you know, and then recently, just I mean, just and for those who don't know, Melinda's white, and just. This week, uh, I'm in this leadership circle, outside leadership circle group, and uh, a black woman asked me, was like, so what's it like being married to, to a white woman? You know, why are you, you know, brother going to be married to a white woman? It's like, like, that's those conversations, like, outside, you know, things that impacts us, right? The, the stereotypes, the biases that people have of interracial couple in this world, in America, in 2020 America, in 2021 America, Right. Uh, historical oppression and racism in America outside of relationship, but impacts us. And so things have been easy between us, but outside of things affect us and we deal with it and we communicate about it and we make it work. See, I knew it was going to be a dope answer. That's, that's my answer because I, 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 you know what to say. You know, you know how to keep it real, so I didn't have to worry about it. I'm drinking my tea. I'm drinking my tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and I, I completely I hear that I mean working I worked with my partner in the past and mm. it wasn't always the it wasn't always the easiest thing to do and there are times when even trying to get that separation between what's going on in the business and what's going on at home wasn't necessarily it was the easy to create 
but it is possible. And what you said in his key, it's a lot of times it's the outside people and influences and situations that you need to navigate to ensure they don't come inside your relationship. Because that's when things really, really get messy. So really, really love that answer. It's a very, very important one as well for those who work with their partners. Thank you. Thank you. Came on that on the fly. Came on the fly. That was, <laughs> <laughs> was true. It was 100% true, you know. And and, and I talked with, with Melinda after that conversation I had with the, the black woman uh, earlier this week. And because the core of my answer was like, you know, when I met Melinda, it was like we both looking for a good human. We were looking for a person that, that allowed our values, that someone who we can communicate with, who cared about empathy, changing the world, who who we both were in spaces where we were learning about who we are 2.0. Like both of us were divorced and you know, so we learned about who we are 2.0. And then when we came together, we learned, you know, learned more about each other's experiences and dealt with our own biases and assumptions and around race, around identity, around gender, around politics, around everything. And so I think, you know, the, the key for us was like, you know, I taught what's like being a black person in America, what's like being a black man in America from the, from the South, right? You know, in my experiences, she talks, she talks about her experience being a woman. Uh, she's five, five, a small woman, you know, and her childhood experiences and, and things she experienced. And, and I learned from her and she learned from me. But at the core, we both, you know, want to do what's right in the world and want to have an impact in the world. And of course, outside things, circumstances, COVID and pandemic, you know, you know, racial injustice, and, you know, Me Too movements, all of that impacts us. But we talk about it, you know, and it's not easy. Sometimes that's what we sit on at night when we watch a comedy, right? Because we do need to take a break because we can't live in those moments all the time, right? But the key thing is we have to talk about, you know, those things. And we both, you know, I hope it's okay to say we both, you know, we both will also go to therapy, right? You know, or, you know, so it's like it's important for us to seek, you know, to talk about our feelings and get help where we're needed. Does it bother you when you have questions like that about the fact that you're a black man talking about being inclusive and being black in tech, but you're married to a white woman? Does that bother you when, when you get asked questions like that woman did? Yes. Yeah, it does. It does. But it's something I, I knew was going to happen. Like when we started dating, you know, before marriage, it's like we, you, and we, something, that's something else we talked about. You know, I was scared. I was scared to post our first picture on Facebook. This is honest. I, I, at the time, I was, I would say I was scared. I was more nervous. I was nervous. Like, here's us. Here's my girlfriend, right? Here I am, nervous, worried about what everybody's going to say. Because I never dated a white woman before, right? And here I am in my, in my, in my at the time, I think, late 30s. And late 30s or early 40s. And here I'm just sharing who I'm in love with, with the world. And I'm nervous and scared of what people are going to say. That's bullshit, right? The stereotypes and the biases that historic racism and oppression and that has put on us as humans everyone doesn't matter who you are who you come from you and this planet you, you you we have been manipulated by something and what it has done to us to you know is to me detrimental to 
human evolution to really live free. My therapist helped me unpack what the core, what can push my depression high. And part of that is connected to me wanting to be free. And that means that free to share who I'm in love with, no matter color they skin or what, you know, or gender or someone, you know, someone who's, you know, who's, who's gay. Why can't they be happy to share who they're in love with, married, you know, but they're got to deal with outside forces, trauma, like people hate Asian people, you know, you know, this, you know, last this year, you know, like because of their identity, right. Being hated on all these things. Because we've been manipulated by history and outside factors of you know technology and things that connect us, that now we're going to drive hate towards someone because they love someone that different because of the color of their skin, or because of historic things that's happened in the past. And so, when people say things like that, they ask these questions like, you know. Why are you married to a white woman? It actually says more about you than it says more about me. Right? You know? Because, you know, to be honest, like, in 2021, and being an interracial relationship, the outside world can make it hard. Could make it hard. Go back to what we talking about earlier. Right? The outside world. Because of their... I'm going to say misalignment with things or traumatic things or things they've been, their biases, things they're manipulated by. And I, you know, I just love a, a, a human. Right? So you think about like, you know, that's how I look at things. That, that perspective gives me peace. It helps me be free in my own home with the woman I love, who, you know, has, you know who's my ride of that, right? Right, that gives me peace. Where it's like, yeah, yes, that's your stuff. It's, it, and it's the same thing is go. It, it, you remove the relationship aspect of it. The same things go towards just people who are racist in general. Right, the people who who, who like you walk down the street, like you know who who you know I walk down the street, someone moves out the way, you know, you're like, oh, black person, oh, you know, that says more about them, not me. It's like. You may have a traumatic experience. Yes, I'm sorry. You know, you may be biased. You may be racist, you know, but I'm okay. So that's, that's not me. That's, that's, that's you. Learning to not carry the baggage of other people on our own shoulders because we have enough to deal with is something that is hard to do, but it's necessary. Because if you do that, then you just end up being crippled and the other person just keeps on walking on, walking by. And you let them have an impact on who you are and your relationship and how you view things. So it's, I really love that statement when you say that. I just love the human. That's that's all I, I love a human. I love my ride or die. I love someone who's been there to support me. That's that's all I see. And we all, people crave that. I mean, <laughs> at the fundamental root of, of relationships, that's what you want. You want someone who loves yeah. you. That's yeah. bottom line. That's real. Like, like, you know, I don't want to talk about so much of the bad, but it's real. Like these experiences, these conversations, they, the good and the bad, you, they, they shape you. And you really have to be mindful of how they shape you. Right? 
like I like going back to the tech experiences and working, you know, doing diversity inclusion tech and, you know, working trying to advocate for black people in tech before it was cool. Because because I had people come out and say, you know, there's people out here before you. Y'all not the only ones. This is like 2012, right? I'm like, okay. I didn't know who you were. You weren't on social media. You weren't blogging. No, you know, it's the whole, y'all had your inner circle over there. Y'all were doing your thing. I wasn't invited to the table. I wasn't in the room. And I, I understand, like, there are people who, who was talking about this in closed circle, advocate who are wildly more successful than I am. And I try to pay respect to those people. Right? But if I didn't know, I didn't know. But then when I did know, if I try to give respect and pay homage to them and so forth, cool. And that's how I try to live my life. Like, like, hey, okay, I didn't know about, you know, like there's Shelly Archambault, right? CEO, she was CEO of a public company, you know, Message Stream. She now has a book out. Awesome black woman, right? And she's been on cover of magazines, fast companies, Forbes, all that. She she was, I didn't know who she was until I moved out here. And now she, you know, she's more, her profile's more elevated, but she's an awesome human. She, 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 we had a couple meetings, great human. But at a time where I look at the intersection of like 2011, 2012, people were not ready to talk about diversity because they knew, like you said earlier, be outcast or something. You know, they were, you know, they didn't want to talk about being black. They just want to make it because taking issue talking about was a meritocracy, which was a lot. So we, we, we had that, that, friction there where people who were successful, black people were not publicly you know, talking about lack of diversity in tech because they knew it was hard. It was a, something that could damage their career. And so I'm trying to think where I'm going with this. So, so that time period came and then I started working more diversity inclusion tech as a whole and try to focus on inclusion for everybody and you know black people too. Right? And I had people telling me Oh, why you not doing that for black people? Or, you know, is this for black people? And I even had that experience in North Carolina before I moved to San Francisco, which is, you know, deep south, right? I will host I hosted a, a social media conference. I would say I hosted the very first social media conference in the world at a historically black college, North Carolina Central University, Durham, North Carolina. Back before Social media was a big thing. Wait, what, maybe 300 people there, businesses, keynote speakers. I invited everybody. I used to do tweet ups on a Thursday night, 200 people. Invite everybody. I have black people say, well, you need to do more to get more black people here. But I'm trying. And so I say all that, like, like those traumatic experiences. I can't let, they have impact me, but I can't let that like prevent me from being happy. I, I completely hear that. When you talk about preventing you from not being being happy, when I, when I look at you and everything that you've done, it makes me laugh because it's like, you're one of the first voices we just talked about right now, talking about black tech. I'm like, okay, cool. That was hard. That was tough. You got your real down to rock bottom. And then you now move into talking about mental health. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> before people start talking about mental health, so I'm like, 
Wait, you do this again. <laughs> you're having this conversation again about something that you're, in a sense, you're first to. So not only you talk about mental health, which was, again, not even talked about, but you talk about mental health as a black person in tech. So that's not that multiple layers. So what, 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 why did you decide, like, you know what, I'm just going to be open, raw, and honest, which you, you have been through this interview, and just bring that to the world? I'm, I'm going to say this, like, first, I didn't know. Go, everything is go back to being self-aware, right? Being self-aware of who you are. Like, and, like, and also, I think for me, this is being self-aware who I am and this friction of, like, living in this capitalist society world we're in. There's this, I collide with that. Because my therapist let me unpack that I'm not, I, I despise the capitalist system because manipulatives about money and all that. And then by living and then my hope for freedom and so forth, my, 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 my happiness connect to my freedom. And with that, my DNA, I learned through therapy and coaching is that I like to share. I like, you know, I feel better when I share things. I, like yesterday I was on Twitter and I've been procrastinating these emails and these emails, I've been, I had sent like these emails, follow-ups in like forever. You got one. <laughs> and, and I posted on Twitter and it made me feel better. I was just sharing how I felt. And that's who I am. And so I mentioned I was in that depression, my, that, that low state in 2012, you know, went through, you know, suicidal and, you know, survived that. And then start going to therapy for, you know, every week for about a year and a half. And this is in 2012, 2013. And I wanted to talk about it, but everybody around me said no. Everybody, friends, coworkers, I was working at a startup at the time. Everybody was like, you would damage your career. Nobody want to work with you if you talk about mental health and depression. Right. And that actually made me shut down more because, oh, I got to be, I'm not, Real day. I'm just like trying to be like everybody else. I'm just lying to myself. I'm just on Twitter, like everything's okay. I'm just like everything's good. And I can't remember the time. I think it's 2017. So like four years later, you know, I finally wrote the article about depression and imposter syndrome in tech because I I I was dealing with too much of it. And I I needed to be free. I needed to share. It hit home for a lot of people. And yeah, you know, think about the I said the wall, but yeah, the wall I was going against because biases, pattern matching, racism in tech. What does what has all the rich investors, all the people say that what you're looking for in terms of tech founders, entrepreneurs, type A humans, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs, they look for all these people who, you know, who are like, you know, have this DNA, like this is what makes us a successful founder, right? We're just peak movement of like people got lucky on some good investments and now they're writing stuff and they seem smart. So in this movement of like, this is what success looks like. Not even talking about race, it's talking about personality type. And talking about, you know, being, being confident and all that, right? But talking about mental health, talking about depression, talking about imposter syndrome, that is not what those who paved the way, who say like, this is what a good founder look like. Those are not the traits. Those are big risks. That's the human, isn't it? I mean, those, that's the... When you, when you look at the 
just the reality, isn't it? That's that's most people where and it's actually interesting when I think about you saying that and putting that in 2017 context to where we are now and where we're heading, where people are looking for leaders who are real, who can talk about imposter syndrome, who can talk about their depression, people they can relate to. That's what people are looking for now. We've moved away and not, not much has changed. It's just time and people being willing to speak up about things they're going through. That, I think, is the biggest difference that I've seen because the issues and experiences people had have always been there, but it's because they hid behind that archetype you just described where you need to be bold and confident and come across like a type A, when in reality, that's not really what you're going through. You're just hiding. Yeah. We talk so much about keeping it real, right? Keeping it 100, you know? We're talking about you know, all that, right? But you can't talk about being sad or when you need to cry or... You know, when you miss someone, you know, or when you hurt, that's being real. That's keeping it 100, right? And then it also just, it's just, again, go back to what I was saying earlier. When people say things like trying to sound smart and say, oh, this is what makes a good founder, a good employee, or, you know, uh, a good hire, a good leader, that says more about them than what says more about you. But the key I'm still learning, had to learn, is like, okay, if I'm going to be in this system, because it's a system, if I'm going to be in this, this capitalist world we live in, this system of Silicon Valley, system of tech, I have to learn what works for me. I have to learn how I'm going to survive, how I'm going to navigate these waters and find my own community that I align with, I can, I, that supports me, that I can support. I can give back, they can give back to me. I had to find my own. And also I had to learn that of my why and remembering my why, my son, my my family, my goals, my happiness, my freedom. But also I had to learn who am I trying to please here? All right? Am I trying to fit in a box? Am I trying to be the next whatever? Or am I just trying to be me? What is your definition of what a good leader is? You get war for the best questions. <laughs> Tough questions. It's like, you, you're good, man. You're good. You're good. <laughs> I'm going to say a good leader is someone who is self-aware about their identity, about their purpose, about what drives them, what makes them happy, what makes them sad, someone who has empathy, Someone who can be bold when they need to be bold, can be vulnerable when they be vulnerable, can create safe environments, vulnerable environments for others, can create brave and bold environments for others, can inspire others, is willing to learn, has humility, but also the courage to speak up. I believe, like, That's what makes a good leader. But it starts at self-awareness to understand like what are where they are and also understand that at no one point they're always gonna be vulnerable, they're always gonna be brave, they're always gonna be bold, they're all gonna be courageous. At no one point they're gonna be all those things all the time. And someone who's not afraid to ask for help. 
if you had to point to one thing that can help people develop that self-awareness skill that you've talked about a number of times, what, what would that one thing be? Ask the question, why? Why are they feeling this way? Why did I make this decision? Why am I doing this? Why am I happy right now? Why am I sad right now? Why am I inspired right now? Why am I encouraged right now? Why am I inspired to make this, this choice to go down this road or build with these people? Why am I trying to make this impact? Ask the question, why? Then from there, ask the question, what can they do to change it in the direction they want to go in? So one of the great escapes that you have when you talk about mental health has been your love of motorcycles, which I find absolutely fascinating. <laughs> oh, love, love and hate, love and hate. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm, I'm fascinated by motorcycles because in my household, that's the one, me and my wife had a conversation before we got married, and that's the one thing that I'm actually not allowed to get is a motorcycle. Like she does not like bikes and i was like you know what if i if there's just one thing i'm married I'll, I'll give you that for personal reasons i'll, I'll give you two so i can never get a bike so when i see people who who go on bike rides like you do and i'm absolutely like yep yeah, let's let's get into it but you and you do actually not just because you love bikes but there's also a mental health aspect behind it i kind of wanted to delve into that a little bit more around what it is about going on on those drives that help you and help restore you back to where you need to be yeah, yeah. Uh, it's connected to freedom. You know, it's connected to being on a motorcycle, being in that moment, riding on highways, being in nature, being like, your brain can't focus on a lot of things in real motorcycle, right? I have some background music playing in my ear, my, my helmet, and you just like, wow, it's like flying. But on the ground, right? And it has some sense of like being in control as well. You know, like right now in this moment, it's just me and a bike, being in that moment, being in nature. And then it's about where it can take you. Yeah, I can get in a car and ride. Yeah, I can get in a plane and travel. But I can hop on a motorcycle and, and go down some twisty roads and high speed, low speed, and just being that moment. And it's like being free. When did you start riding? My father taught me as a kid, you know, and uh, oh. yeah, yeah. I took my kid at uh, Honda's 750 and, and at home um, on a, around the house. And then and I think since I was 16, 18, been riding, you know, I used to be riding, but had my license ever since then. And, I took a break, and then, uh, of course, you know, my first marriage and my, my, my ex-wife was similar, like, nope, not going to be, I had a motorcycle, and she was like, nope, not riding that, and then uh, I moved to San Francisco, I was doing some contract work for an entrepreneur, and he had a Ducati monster sitting in storage on Treasure Island, and not riding it, he was like, you want to ride it? I was like, sure, so I kept it about a year, and then uh, I gave it back to him, and then... In 2018, my wife got her motorcycle license, took a course, and, and then we went and got two bikes and been riding since then, out here in San Francisco. So you got any plans coming up with you and, and bikes and mental health? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been having a dream to drive a motorcycle cross country and back for about three years now. 
And so we did an icon project, you know, focused on mental health and professional development for black and brown men. I'm going to do what I'm going to call the icon ride, which is to ride my motorcycle from San Francisco to North Carolina, see my son and my family and back. And I'm going to be um, journaling on social media and um, do a campaign and, and uh, hope people support the cause. And the money I'm raising is for the Icon Therapy Fund, which is going to provide grants for people who may not have access to therapy, to coaches and, and, and therapy. And then also for a fellows program, we launched it with Icon Project in 2022. So looking forward to it. Solo ride across the country, a black man in America in 2021. When are you doing this? When? I'm leaving September the 22nd or 23rd. Still working out the details of just A lot has been happening, but leaving one of those days. Wow. That's going to be, it's going to be amazing, actually. Are you, are you, are you scared, excited? <laughs> what are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I usually, so I'm not scared of anything, you know, right there go, you know. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared. I'm scared and nervous, right? You know, there's a lot of things I, I'm doing to, like, I have a GPS track on my bike. I have a, a, a Garmin GPS device. I'm wearing my hip, you know, SOS, uh, connected to the SAT, you know, SAT, like SAT device. And people can follow, you know, me online 24 7. They see where I'm at, see where the bike's at. You know, maybe, maybe avoid some states, you know, across country, you know, but, uh, We'll see. How long does it estimate to take you? It could take most people around 10, 15 days. I'm going to take about a month and a half. So I'm going to spend like a week or so on the East Coast with my family, my son. So soak that time up and then start taking my time to come back. And I'm going to work from the road too. So I want me just like riding. You know, I'm just going to work. You know, so. Well, once the. Is there a link for it that people can support and donate and view what's going on as well? Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be on iconrod.org. For those who actually don't know much about either Icon or Change Catalyst, can you just give a quick insight into both of those two organizations that you're founder and co-founder of? Yeah, yeah. So Change Catalyst, we focus on uh, inclusive innovation. Do that through consulting, workshops, training, and so forth. And that's co-founded with my wife, Linda Epler. Been doing it since 2015, and the Icon Project is my nonprofit focus on mental health and professional development for Black and Brown men in tech. Like I said, this was this was going to be a dope interview, and <laughs> we've we've gotten so many so many places and spaces. So it's a way when we're talking in email, I'm like this, are we just going to go with it? Like let's let's go. So I'm like okay, <laughs> let's do this. And it's been it's been a really really dope conversation because this is when we're talking about being being real, being open, being vulnerable. But also actually one thing I really wanted to do was also celebrate and give people their flowers when it's due. And you're you're definitely one of those people. And it's been great seeing the work that you've done, but also the impact of the work that you've done, laying the ground that people have been able to build on since. And especially after after last year, a lot of what happened with people like yourself, like Hank Williams and all those kind of different people from way back in the day, that names that people don't even know that laid the groundwork for that foundation to slowly, even though it does feel like there's not a lot of change happening, there's still some change happening, especially when you compare it to those days. So it's very, very important to just to just talk about it and to yeah, to give people their flowers and their 
and su- support them in what they're doing right now as well. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you. This is Everyday Leadership. And I'll speak to you soon.